Welcome, traders, to the SPACs attack. Let's get it started. Traders, welcome and welcome to the SPACs attack. If you're a SPAC fan out there, definitely smash the like button below. Hit the share button. Let everybody know we're going to be going over some SPAC ETFs. And this might be an opportunity for you to learn uh, an opportunity that you have present. You know, even with our pullbacks that we've had right now, these are kind of looking interesting right now. Even I'm thinking about getting into one of these ETFs. So definitely check it out, guys. Let's go ahead and bring on my man, the brains to the show. Chris Catchy, what's up? Hey, Mitch, what's, what's going on? How was your weekend? Hey, another day. Happy, happy. You know, one of the things uh, I started adding some some new things, as you can see, a little light behind me, starting to look a little bit better. I, I have a lot of things planned out, guys. There's going to be new shows coming, a whole bunch of things that I'm working on. So get ready. This is not all the thing we do, guys. We cover SPACs. We cover IPOs. We're going to be doing it all. And I'm super excited to get to our interview a little bit later today. You know, we're going to be going over the Defiance ETF. That's going to be ticker SPAK. So super excited to get towards that interview. But I know you got some headlines out there, especially with the whole weekend. So, Chris, first, how was your weekend? And then let's go ahead and jump into the headlines. Yeah, you know, weekend was good. Uh, no complaints here. And looks like we're starting to see some SPACs go a little bit higher, um, you know, after the interesting week we had last week. So no complaints there either. All right. So let's go ahead and let's get started. Let's take us back to the headlines. All right, guys. Yeah, so not a ton of headlines to get to. Um, but we do have three new deals to talk about. So I want to spend some time on those. So up first for our headlines, we have tickers NGA and ACTC. Um, NGA, which I own, is bringing Lion Electric public. And ACTC, of course, bringing Proterra public. So Canada recently announced a $2.75 billion investment in zero emission buses and charging infrastructure. So, you know, uh, Lion Electric and Proterra could be big winners from this uh, investment. Uh, and it's actually pretty notable. So this is part of an eight-year public transit investment of $14.9 billion that was introduced by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau last month. That specifically calls out Lion Electric in the report. Again, Lion Electric, a Canadian company. They have worked with the government before. So keep an eye out on NGA. Um, you know, this was one that was loved for a while and then has started trading down. So again, I do own NGA. Then we have DraftKings. We'll get to DraftKings more with our interview today, I'm sure. But want to make sure everyone knows that they're holding an investor day tomorrow, March 9th. So keep an eye out on DraftKings. I think we're going to get lots of, you know, coverage of the stock tomorrow. We may hear more from them on some of these new states that they'll be launching in or new states that are possibly legalizing sports betting and maybe get a better idea of some of DraftKings uh, growth prospects going forward as the leader 
in online sports betting in terms of number of states with entry. Our movers on Friday, we had LACQ up 17%, TDAC up 14%. Um, and then we had that deal for GWAC, GWAC, of course, with a crypto mining company, Cypher. Shares ended on the day up 11%. So again, we haven't seen a ton of deal announcements where they end positive on the day. But with the market coming back strong into close on Friday, and this one being a crypto play, um, you know, GWAC up 11%. Last week, we did get a deal approved for uh, View, the smart window company. So that was CFII. The new ticker is going to be VIEW, as in View. Um, I do not see it trading as that new ticker yet, but shares were down 7% on Friday. Remember, with that deal being closed, that $10 floor is no longer there. Um, so this one has fallen below $10, and I think, you know, we may see it fall further. Um, you know, one of the things I cautioned with this one was that they have lots of deals with commercial companies. And a lot of these commercial companies, you know, are uh, changing deals and, you know, really focusing on how can we make work from home and remote workers a priority and they may not need as much commercial real estate anymore. Then we have two former SPACs reporting earnings after hours today. We have SFT, that's Shift Technologies, a used car company. We have WTRH, that's Waiter Holdings, a food delivery company. And I will note, I do own shares of WTRH, and they did announce a cannabis partnership last week um, on delivery um, that I think could be a focus with their earnings report today to talk about the growth and synergies there. So keep an eye out on WTRH today. We had a rumor over the weekend that Kazoo, a UK used car company, is in talks with several SPACs. That's according to Sky News, which I have not seen as a source before on these SPAC deals. They mentioned that several companies are in talks with Kazoo, but the one that they highlighted was Ajax, A-J-A-X. I do own shares of that. I got to say, you know, I, no surprise shares of Ajax are trading lower today. Does not look like there is much excitement around this used car deal. And, you know, I'm hoping that Ajax does not end up getting this company, you know, with that strong management team in place. So I would be looking to Ajax. I'm possibly buying on the dip now with shares below $11. Um, you know, again, I, I think at this point, it's just a rumor until I hear that Kazoo is going public with Ajax from a Bloomberg or a Reuters or from the company. I won't put too much weight, you know, into this announcement. Then we still have the continued rumor out there, HZON um, taking Sport Radar public. Uh, this one now being reported by several, um, you know, sources. Looks like deal is close to being announced at a $10 billion valuation. So keep an eye out on HZON. We did see it trade higher last week, you know, on that uh, rumor. But it looks like it's starting to, you know, go back down again. When will we see that official deal announcement? Where will sh shares end up? What will the valuation be? What does their revenue growth look like? And will they provide any color on that expiring exclusive NFL deal, um, you know, with that partnership with the NFL? So those are some things to keep in mind. Um, I think SportRadar is a great company going forward. They compete with Genius Sports, DMYD. 
but keep an eye out, um, you know, before this deal gets officially announced. And then turning to Merger Monday, something we've come to expect but haven't seen as much. We had three new deals announced today in the SPAC world. So up first, we have ticker NBA. Uh, they announced a deal with Airspan Networks, a leading 5G technology company. So fiscal 2021 revenue of $254 million estimated, up 47%. Fiscal 2022 estimate of $338 million, up 33%. Deal was done at an $822 million valuation. Um, you know, so again, 5G, uh, SoftBank, and Dish Network are invested in the pipe on this deal. Qualcomm is also an existing shareholder. Um, you know, so some strong backing there. And again, as we turn to 5G, you know, Mitch and I talked about 5G last week with one of those other SPACs out there. Um, but NBA, the one getting the deal done here with a leading 5G technology company. Then we turn to NHIC. That was the second deal to highlight today. So they announced a deal with Evolve Technology, the leader in artificial intelligence enabled touchless security screening. So revenue of 20.2 million expected in fiscal 2021, up 370%. $53.1 million estimated in fiscal 2022. That's up 163%. So deal done at a $1.3 billion valuation. They are the only company in personal security using AI and data science to keep visitors safe. So they already have deals in place with the Lincoln Center, sports stadiums like Gillette Stadium, uh, the Six Flags amusement parks, and also schools places of worship, and other highly trafficked locations. Um, so, you know, they also are looking at health screening uh, with COVID-19 right now. So a $300 million pipe on this deal. And investments include star athletes, uh, Peyton Manning, Andre Agassi, Steffi Graf, Joe Torrey, Theo Epstein, um, and others. Existing investors in the company include Bill Gates, Motorola and Jeb Bush. So lots of notable, um, you know, celebrities and uh, notable investors in this deal. So keep an eye out on this one, um, you know, with the security screenings moving forward, but also how can they pivot to the health screenings? Maybe they can get um, some, you know, some airport deals, TSA, but also maybe they can be the screener of choice at theme parks like Six Flags with that existing deal in place. So keep an eye out on that one. It was very interesting to me this morning. And then we turn to DMYI. This one has been rumored for a little while. So DMYI, which is DMY Technology Group 3, taking IonQ, the uh, public, in the first peer play quantum computing company to go public. So $650 million in gross proceeds includes a $350 million pipe. That includes investments from Fidelity, Silver Lake, Hyundai and Kia Corporation, market cap valued at $2 billion. Uh, current shareholders will own 15% of the new company. You know, the, the list for IonQ of existing investors, very strong. We have Google Ventures, Amazon, Lockheed Martin, Hewlett Packard, Airbus, and Samsung. So IonQ is seeking to build the world's best quantum computers to solve the world's most complex problems transforming business, society, and the planet for the better. Some of the problems they highlight in that presentation are how to live sustainably on our planet, 
how to cure diseases and how to efficiently move people or goods. Um, you know, lots of growth ahead. They're the only quantum computing company to be available on both Amazon Web Services and Microsoft Azure. They see a market opportunity of $65 billion by 2030. They compete with Google, Honeywell, and IBM, but they say that their quantum sister is system is 32,000 times more powerful than competitors. So minimal revenue going forward, we have 5 million projected for 2021, 15 million for 2022, but then that ramp up starts in 2025 with an estimate of $237 million, growing at a compounded annual growth rate of 150% from fiscal 2021 to fiscal 2025. Um, you know, so three big deals announced this morning. And then we turn to our calendar. As I mentioned, we do have um, a couple of companies reporting earnings today. We also have a vote today, CLA voting on that merger with Ouster. And we have IPV voting on a merger with Ava um, in the LIDAR space on the 11th. And again, earnings, we have Shift and uh, Waiter Holdings reporting tonight. On the 10th, we have Rush Street Interactive, Skills, and Tattooed Chef all reporting. So lots going on in the SPAC world out there in terms of news, deals, and earnings. So that's what I've got for Merger Monday, Mitch. All right. Yeah, so definitely something going on out there. And one thing I'll be looking at is a couple of those earnings. You know, um, One that I have on my radar, guys, RSI on the 10th. So definitely going to be watching that and, and we'll see how they react. I've been seeing GNOG start bouncing. So maybe we're starting to see a bounce in, in that kind of that sector. So keep an eye on those plays, RSI, GNOG. And let's take a, a quick look before we get to our interview. Wanted to pull up here and, and take a look at some of the ETFs that we can kind of mention here. So I'm going to pull up the daily here. So, of course, we're looking at, at SPAK here right now. And, and we've seen a, a significant pullback here. Um, and a good opportunity to get it kind of near the, the opening price, you know, um, when we day one, October 1st here, we had an open of 25.74. And, you know, uh, on Friday, we had a dip down towards 24.59. So we could start looking at that level to see if it's going to be able to hold here and, and kind of see where we can start measuring in into these SPAC ETFs. One of the great things is, you know, of course, is that you, you have some options there. You can take a look and, and a couple of them have pulled back here towards some support levels. So this is SPCX, the SPAC and new issue ETF. And then let's take a look at the last one here, SPXZ. And this one's been dipping down massively, gone way below the opening. It opened at the 26th of January at 25.38. So this one even had a low on Friday of 1960. So we'll definitely take a look at these kind of SPAC ETFs. They could give you an ability to start kind of getting in and measuring your risk. All right, so let's go ahead. Let's get back to my man, Chris, and let's get into our interview of the day. At the end of the day, guys, one thing we always want to do is unlock the SPAC world for you. So we have a great interview for you today, guys. Let's go ahead and unlock these SPACs, and then, Chris, you can bring on our guests. All right, guys. Yeah, super excited. You know, as Mitch just highlighted, some of those SPAC ETFs out there, a great way for investors to take advantage of this growing SPAC market. 
So joining us today, we have Sylvia Jablonski. She is the Chief Investment Officer of Defiance ETFs. Defiance SPAC ETF is ticker SPAK. Welcome to the show, Sylvia. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Great to be with you guys today. Welcome to the show. I'm going to go ahead and, and head out for a little bit and I'll let Chris answer some, uh, ask some questions first and then I'll come back with some of my own. Sounds good. Hi, Sylvia. Welcome to the show. So excited to have you here. Um, before we dive into the SPAC ETF, I'm wondering if you can share with our viewers um, some information on your background with Defiance and with ETFs. Sure. Uh, so prior to Defiance, I worked at a company called Direction ETFs, which is a company best known for levered and inverse ETF uh, products and tools. And uh, I recently joined Defiance as a co-founder and CIO of Defiance ETFs this past December. But I've spent the better part of, let's say, 13, 14 years working in ETFs. So I've been doing this for quite some time. Uh, I've worked in the roles of um, capital markets, you know, research product development, uh, investment strategy, you know, general market outlook and things like that to support our clients and investors. Awesome. So, you know, Defiance, I see the first SPAC ETF. Why was it important to launch a SPAC ETF for investors? So Defiance has been just looking at this market and, you know, I've heard you guys talking a lot about this. There has just been so much popularity and interest in SPACs and the new SPACs that have come to the market. There have been so many exciting deals over the years. And, you know, particularly if we look at 2020, you know, there were there were about 250 SPACs, 80 billion of proceeds from that. This year, I think there's about, you know, 200 actually listed uh, or, or um, newly listed, not yet public, and, and probably about 140 that have gone public, 38 billion in proceeds. It's a growing space. And I think that when you're an investor and you want to get into it, you know, some of the investments might seem obvious and, and popular, like the Virgin Galactic deals, the DraftKing deals. But for the most part, SPACs are really tricky to pick in terms of which one is going to make it. So the great part of having a vehicle like an ETF is that it mitigates the risk to having exposure to sort of like one name or a few names that might never SPAC or might never make it. And instead gives you access to the broad universe of SPACs, particularly those that are known to be sort of the most liquid, highest market cap, you know, best management teams and whatnot. So gives you access to the space, democratizes IPO and private equity type deals for the retail investor, but also mitigates the risk of sort of picking the smaller bad deals that might not work out. Perfect. So, you know, we, we talked a little bit before we brought you on. There are a couple SPAC ETFs out there for investors. One of the things that, you know, I think is a differentiating factor for this defiant SPAC ETF is it has a, a higher weighting of, you know, former SPACs that are now trading as their own public company. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the decision um, to have a higher weighting in these post SPAC deals? 
Sure. We think that over time, it's important to have access to the entire IPO lifecycle. So you're getting access both to, as you said, the blank check company, the pre-SPAC pre company that's listed to essentially do a merger, and then the de-SPAC'd company. So an example, great example would be having access to IPOE, which is Chamath Palihapitiya's SPAC black check company, which is merging with essentially Virgin Galactic. So in that case, you know, you're getting that 70% plus move around the announcement time of IPOE. And then, you know, sort of that same type of return a little bit more on the Virgin Galactic DSPAC company. So I think what's interesting is you can look at the different ETFs at different points in time. And sometimes the blank check companies will rally around rumors. But over time, we think that the newly established company, particularly within that two-year period, has a real shot of giving the investor returns. So we didn't want to limit it to you know, sort of just the blank check company. We think that, you know, SPACs are giving you access to the sort of the, the newest, best, hottest emerging technologies. And, and you want the post-SPAC stock to get that access. Perfect. So, you know, I, I got to ask about, you know, the decision to uh, sell out of SPAC. So we used to see, you know, these huge pops on day one from the deal announcement or from rumors. How does Defiance kind of juggle the expectations and the uh, the exit points of selling any of these SPACs on, you know, a large increase from the deal announcement? Yeah, so our, our ETF is actually a passive-based product. So we have an index methodology and we essentially adhere to that. You know, we look at the constituents monthly and it rebalances quarterly, but basically we're just looking at names that have 250 million of, of capitalization, you know, have been trading for a, a million shares a day for the past three months. And, and we, we stick to that methodology. So the difference between our SPAC and other SPACs is, um, A, you know, costs, we're, we're half the cost, if not more than some of the other competitors out there. And B, there, there isn't sort of like the active management, we're giving you access to the space over time. And unless a company falls below those requirements, or or launches and meets those requirements, you know, it's it's pretty much tracking the index. But in terms of, you know, sort of like people buying and selling SPACs, um, I think part of that recently anyway, you know, you guys put some good charts up there, is the worry about the 10 year and perhaps the stress on, you know, technology and whatnot. But I, I think it's actually a great buy on the dip opportunity. You know, again, these are gonna be sort of the, the hottest most innovative top emerging technologies out there and a SPAC is the purest way to capture it. Perfect. So, you know, I see in the uh, the, the prospectus, you know, the, the goal is to hold these SPACs for two years. Um, you know, you talk about the, the looking at it monthly and the quarterly. Um, so is that what happens then with the life cycle is when you have when you have held them for two years, um, you know, then after that quarter, you sell the position out yeah, exactly. And 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 the thesis behind that is, you know, after a two-year period, we would sort of consider it an established company that, you know, might no longer qualify as like a pure IPO. We want to keep the purity of the product, and that's giving the client and an investor access to really the newly launched blank check companies and the newly launched companies. Um, and you know, it's sort of the same thing on the SPAC. It's it's they they have usually 18 to 24 months to actually do a deal too. So, you know, if they didn't do a deal, they would probably also disappear. Um, not necessarily only from the ETF, but also from the market. And then I see so only common shares held in this SPAC ETF that again is a little bit different. 
can you talk about you know the decision of maybe not buying in um, to the units uh, when they first are offered to investors? Sure. So I think, you know, in terms of the units, it's it's not like if you look at the different SPAC deals out there, it's sort of not crystal clear, um, you know, in terms of like the actual valuation of the warrant, um, how many shares they'll be able to purchase with that warrant, you know, what the sort of discount rate is and whatnot. So uh, we just thought that the cleanest way to do it would be to understand that the common stock has X value based on its launch price and that the blank check company also, they, you know, they usually launch around $10, but it has a very specific price that is then driven by supply and demand in the secondary market after it launches, whereas with warrants, they're a little bit harder to value. We thought it could throw off the performance in terms of, um, you know, some of the, the discrepancies there in terms of like how the deals are structured. Awesome. So I want to turn a little bit, talk about some of the holdings in the, in the ETF. So you know, and again, I, I think this is based on some numbers from last week, but DraftKings, the largest holding, 10.7%. So DraftKings has been one of the top performing, um, you know, SPACs post deal. You know, was this a heavy weighting um, before the deal was announced or is the high weighting a result of the performance of the stock now? Yeah, exactly right. It's the uh, it's it's a result of the performance of the stock. So when DraftKings actually despacked, I think they had within a few months, um, you know, triple digit returns. So it was definitely one of the hottest IPOs post post despac IPOs to to hit the market. Uh, and then you know over time, it's still can, it's still actually one of the top performing SPAC names in our ETF. So it continues to have a high weighting. But we actually cap the stocks at twelve percent because you know we don't want one stock to necessarily dominate the index when it has like a three month run and then, you know, pull back and erase performance. So 12% um, is the cap. DraftKings is the highest because of capital appreciation. So that would be on a quarterly basis. Then if one of them reached more than 12%, you would sell to meet that requirement? Yes, exactly right. That would be picked up in the index reconstitution. Okay, perfect. So, you know, another name that stands out in the, in the top 10 holdings, CCIV, um, you know, a lot of talk about that one. They they did that deal with Lucid Motors. Um, so I saw there's a couple Churchill Capital SPACs in the ETF. What kind of goes into the decision making on adding, you know, certain SPACs? Um, you know, is it just strictly by the fundamentals, the market cap and the trading averages? Absolutely. That's what it comes down to. And the reason for that is that, you know, again, we just think active management and, you know, this is sort of our feeling on our competitive edge. We sort of feel like active management in this space, particularly for the blank check companies, is a little bit difficult just because, you know, it's not really a company. Right. So it's it's just this. It's, it's this structure that that is taken that is IPO'd in the market in order to merge with or acquire another company. You know, so it has no operations. It has um, sort of un, uncertain, unclear financials, prospects, future, and things like that. So, which is which is also you know the risk reward of SPACs. If you pick the right one, you do quite well. But our thinking on this was we should just stick to the rules, and the rules should be 250 market cap, million market cap, and higher. Um, plus the liquidity metrics. And, you know, if we do that, well, that also happens to coincide with the top manager. So, 
you know, if you look at the deals we have, um, they're the Ackman SPACs, they are the uh, Polyhapatia SPACs, they are um, Michael Klein SPACs. So they're sort of the well-known managers and the people that you want to um, bet on really, because the likelihood of them actually doing a SPAC and doing a merger and it being successful, I think is higher than some of the smaller cup SPACs that come out there, have less liquidity, less trading, you know, you don't know if they'll ever make a deal. Um, so there's an opportunity cost to that. And obviously if you're investing in it in the public market, you could lose your money. So we just stick to the, to the rules of the index for that. And we don't sort of discriminate against, you know, if there are five CCIVs in there and that's because of the market cap and, and the liquidity, then, you know, so be it. And hopefully they'll all do successful deals. Perfect. So, you know, uh, you talked about Chamath, uh, Bill Ackman. So, you know, I see PSTH again, one of the, the top five holdings. Um, so that would be just based again, not on necessarily the, the management team, but based on the, the premium now built into the offering. Absolutely. It's it's based on its its trading, its liquidity, and its market cap, basically. So um, if it fits the rules and, and it essentially via the market cap and appreciation, it can, you know, it gets a um, higher percentage of allocation within the SPAC. And so 137 holdings in the ETF was the number I saw. I don't know if that's accurate, you know, um, to today. But mm -hmm. so is there a, you know, a number of holdings that this would be limited to, or is it all just based on meeting the requirements and it could be, you know, up to 200 or 300 holdings at some point? Yeah, it could be. I mean, if we keep going in the way that we're going and we just see, you know, this plethora of SPACs hitting the market, the ETF could be could be huge and could, you know, certainly acquire more individual components. But, you know, right now it's holding all of the available components with those, you know, metrics we discussed about for market cap and liquidity. And one more time. So you said market cap of 250 million. And what were the other requirements for the holdings? Um, so it's so for the last three months, you know, trading a million shares a day, 12% um, cap on the actual holding within the SPAC. And then, um, you know, it's 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 looked at on a monthly basis to make sure everything sort of still fits the parameters, rebalance quarterly and, you know, as well as an annual reconstitution. Perfect. So I'm going to see if Mitch can hop back in uh, with some questions and we'll see if we have any from our um, viewers in the chat as well. So what do you what do you got for us, Mitch? Yeah, definitely. You know, one of the things that I've been looking at is also how interest rates are going to impact SPACs, right? Um, and, and one thing I've noticed is that as SPACs have been coming out, you're not seeing as many, let's say, high market cap ones like a billion over 700 million uh, are you kind of seeing that same pattern where you're seeing the SPACs come out with a smaller market cap I am seeing that but I think I don't necessarily attribute that to the interest rate issue that we're seeing now I attribute it to so many SPACs have come to market that I feel like a lot of the you know sort of big guns are, are already out there and at this point you know, there are a lot of small companies that are just coming out via the SPAC vehicle and they can, and it's, you know, sort of a good way to access funds from the private market. I don't think interest rates are impacting that just yet. You know, I still think that investors will generally have the appetite for SPACs and, you know, you're not really going to compare that to necessarily a 10 year. I, I think the risk reward on the SPAC is, is, is a whole lot higher. Um, 
you know, certainly in both directions, right? You could lose a lot, you could win a lot. But I think that these are investors that are looking for higher octane gains. I don't think interest rates are going to set them back too much. You know, we'll see in terms of the future growth of the DSPAC companies and, you know, how much it costs them to borrow in terms of like their growth rate and things like that. Of course it matters, but I don't think at this point that's what's going on with SPACs. I think it's just just massive, massive popularity and sort of low hurdles allow these smaller products SPACs to come out. Excellent. So the next question I would have is, does the ETF really pay attention to kind of the net asset value? I, I know that a lot of these SPACs have opened up trading at a premium as of late, but um, are you guys attacking that net asset value or how, how does that approach work there? Yeah, so we just stick to our index methodology. And um, it's if, you know, if there's a lot of interest in one of the blank check companies and it, and it you know, massively goes like CC, CCIV before the Lucid merger, that SPAC just absolutely crushed it. You know, it was up triple digits basically before they announced the deal. And then it kind of fell back because people weren't so happy with the terms of it. But, you know, for us, it sort of doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's being included in the index because of the market cap and because of, you know, the liquidity terms that it meets based on our index methodology. So we're not really analyzing, you know, the actual price of the SPAC and, and where that moves or factoring that in. It's sort of a natural part of the growth of the ETF as it trades in the market. Perfect. So last question I have is I see there's uh, one thir 137 holdings right now. Am I correct on that number? Yes, you're right. Yeah. Okay, excellent. So I always talk about this on SPACs attack and, and, and it's really what it's about. You know, with 137 holdings, you can really diversify in, in this approach and, and kind of what I've been doing. I mean, I essentially created my own ETF, you know, in, in my portfolio. So can you explain to us why a diverse approach in SPACs would kind of make more sense than kind of stock picking in this direction? Yeah, I think with SPACs, you know, there is a high there is a high risk with SPACs. And I think that when you look at an ETF, like ours, you know, you're getting, as you said, diversification, you know, there's SPACs in there that think, you know, things that do um, 3D printing, space, satellites, gaming, you know, um, digital real estate platforms. It's, it's sort of a good mix of the hottest emerging technologies across all sectors. And you mitigate the risk of having exposure to one SPAC that may or may not make it. And actually a great example is the CCIV Lucid deal. So CCIV was absolutely crushing it. That's the Churchill SPAC that, you know, merged with Lucid. There was so much buildup to that name. And then lo and behold, you know, investors weren't happy with the terms. And in the near term, the performance of that name went down. So if that's all you held, you know, you lost a whole lot of money if you held it probably, you know, if you bought it a little bit before the announcement and sold it after, you probably lost a lot of money. But if, if you have the SPAC itself, that's absorbed by the great performance, on the other hand, that we've seen with Virgin Galactic and DraftKings and, you know, MP materials, for example, which have been some of the hottest SPACs that did pay off this year. So I think it helps you diversify your exposure. It mitigates the downside risk of one deal going bad. And again, with the smaller SPACs, you know, not to say that some small blank check company is going to come out tomorrow and and have like a 4,000% return, you know, that, that could certainly happen. But I think it's really, really hard to find and cherry pick that particular deal. And when you look at the smaller market caps, I think that they also are going to have a harder time doing a merger. Um, they don't have the credibility of, again, the Ackmans, the Climbs and the backers and, you know, or even if it's like Jay-Z, just somebody well known um, who, who is sort of, you know, liquid and, and can, can fund it and can create a pipe if they need to. So I do think that there's some benefit in looking at 
um, an ETF that helps you both diversify the assets and gives you access to the you know highest market cap, most liquid, you know best most popular names in the space. Yeah, definitely. You know, one that we had been watching for a while was CCIV because we'd actually been watching it before with the direct TV rumor. And we, we noticed kind of that, you know, we always mention this, that the, the rumors can change. And then the next thing you know, you have a completely different company. Right. And I like how you mentioned Lucid because of that. I mean, when the first rumors came out, it just it took off like a rocket. And, and part of that was also, at least in our understanding, was the change of going from a direct TV to a Lucid Motors and how that uh, company could be evaluated from that point on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people were definitely more excited about the Lucid rumor than they were about the direct TV rumor. Um, but, you know, again, it, it's the devil's in the details, right? The details came out and, you know, investors weren't thrilled about it. But the momentum in the blank check company and its price soared off of the Lucid rumor. Excellent. I've got one more, got one one more? more question there here, Sylvia. So, you know, I, I know you talk about, you know, following that index using, you know, the, the rules put in place, but I, I have to ask. So we've seen several SPACs, you know, uh, after the merger goes through, they start trading, you know, under that $10 level and just kind of, you know, get pushed aside. Is, is there any, you know, strategy to, you know, cutting the loss and, you know, taking that position away or is the, the intent to fully hold it for the two year period? Yeah, no. So that so that information is looked at on a monthly basis. And that's a great point because you wouldn't want to sit with a dog for two years. Right. So um, it is looked at. There's there's a monthly sort of overview of everything in the SPAC uh, ETF itself. So it would be picked up during that period of time. Perfect. Awesome. All right. So I think that's going to do it for us today. I really appreciate you having on. And, and one thing that I'm definitely going to be paying attention to is kind of how we get through this this little period right now i'm feeling a, of a pullback from investors and see the reaction on the next wave right and and i'll be paying attention so definitely i appreciate you coming on chris anything else no i think that's it you know we want to thank sylvia jablonski the chief investment officer of defiance etfs again that ticker is spak one of the spac etfs thank you so much sylvia for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us on spacs attack today Thanks, guys. I, I'm loving the show. I'm loving the information. So Thank I, you. I hope everyone's got a lot out of it, too. Appreciate it. We'll have you definitely back. And and let's let's go ahead and uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the SPAK here, you guys, and what we can see. So one thing I want to look at a little bit further now is let's get into some of the holdings and talk a little bit more about specifically what's being in the top 10. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't want to hound Sylvia too much on her top 10 decisions here. So let, let's go ahead and let's get into some of these here, guys. So first off the top, you know, you can see DraftKings and Chris, if you want to talk a little bit about DraftKings, go ahead. And then I, I want to talk a little bit about open next. Yeah, uh, maybe zoom one time on that. Um, I got you. I got you. Yeah, so, you know, DraftKings, the top holding, and I think that goes to show, you know, DraftKings was one of the hottest, best performing, um, you know, former SPACs of the last two years. Um, you know, I, I love that being the top holding here. I think DraftKings, you know, is is the top sports betting name out there um, as far as terms of number of states. Um, you know, their growing presence, they obviously compete with FanDuel and others, but I think that's a great holding. Um, you know, as she said, it will be capped at 12%. 
So, you know, they have that investor presentation tomorrow, the analyst day. Maybe if we see a run from DraftKings, this thing could quickly be 12% of the portfolio and, you know, they might end up having to sell some, um, you know, to meet that requirement again. But, you know, DraftKings jumps out for me. I know you're going to talk open door, Mitch, but, you know, again, we have PSTH and CCIV in the top, you know, 10 holdings. Those are two, you know, hot ones that everybody talks about you know, PSTH with no deal and CCIV obviously getting lucid motors. So, you know, if you want exposure to the the best performing SPACs of the last two years and also some of the the top teams out there and the, the big premiums, this, this is one way to go for diversification for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we've all looked at DraftKings and, and really uh, a story, I think, of, of timing the SPAC there. Uh, that was a perfect time SPAC with sports actually not being mentioned when it came out, but a couple weeks into it, boom. You, you saw DraftKings really start taking off because it expected sports to come out. And, and this is why I always talk about the timing of the SPAC. Uh, pay attention to that, guys. Timing is so important. Because it's all about kind of the market environment that you're in also. And DraftKings, I felt, you know, just picked the right timing. And, and it actually, you know, sports taking a, a, a rest for a second and then kicking off all at once, I think actually helped the environment. Um, now to talk about open. Open is one that I'm very interested in, guys, because I've been seeing so much interest in housing, whether that be, you know, uh, people scooping up rocket at the bottom, whether that be, you know, you can look at Toll Brothers, um, one of the leading house builders. And really, I'm seeing house building is going to get a little bit of a push in my eyes, at least from the environment. Um, the environment's definitely pushing. Biden talking about first-time buyer uh, credit that could be coming out. And if that comes out, I think it's just going to support more of these kind of online retailers like Open. Uh, you could see Zillow move. You could see uh, Red Redfin, um, Redfin Properties. There, there's so many plays in this. But also pay attention to also different like let's say underlining assets in this industry let's say like a uh, lumber or 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 even like a, a company like like ll like uh, lumber liquidators there's going to be a whole bunch of plays in here especially if we get that first time buyers uh credit so pay attention to these and then of course you know psth is really starting to get interesting because we still have nothing right and and so one of the things that i'm starting to see is it is this the time to start getting in a little bit? I, I've been mentioning that I wish it would get below the, the premium price, which is that $20. But hey, um, I, I don't know if we're going to get that low, but I, I might start dipping my toes a little bit. Let's take a look at the chart here and, and see what we've been looking at. I know that a lot of people are are, are kind of even, well, there, I think there's, there's two views here, guys. Either you're done with PTSH or or you're like, all right, well, I'm just waiting for this one to actually take off. But we got a pullback on Friday. They went to a low of 23.13. So I'm going to look to see if we can hold 25 on pullbacks right now. That's kind of where I'm seeing these multiple bottoms happen. And so I'm going to look to see if we can get closer towards that level one more time. So then I can risk off maybe this $24 or $23 value. But one thing I did see is on that big pullback on Friday, big volume. So I think people were thinking the same as me. Hey, maybe this is a big discounted time to grab PSTH. So uh, we'll, we'll take a look to see how this one goes. But that's a PTSH. What do you think about this chart, Chris? 
Yeah, you know, this one uh, would be interesting if it, you know, keeps coming down here again. There, there's only so many companies that, that they can take public. And I, I think that's the, the big thing here is, you know, when do they announce and who do they announce with? And, you know, how much built-in premium is already there and how much could this thing spike if they land a Stripe or if they land someone else? But also... What's the valuation going to be if it's taken them this long to, you know, get a deal done? You know, is there already going to be a huge valuation for whoever they acquire, um, you know, with the ongoing talk? So interesting to, you know, keep following the story, you know, in this one, um, you know, with it down now at that level. All right, let's take a look at our watch list. See what's moving. See what we got up. See what we got down here. Um, one that I'm noticing up today, CFII. Um, what's up here, Chris? Yeah, so CFII was the one. They just got that deal done um, with View for the smart windows. So mm -hmm. that is going to start trading as ticker VIEW any day. Um, but again, this one sold off so much on that deal. Um, now the $10 floor is going to disappear. So I think it's important to see if this one can get back over the $10 level on its own, because that's not a guarantee anymore, right? As we saw with Clover, where they can just keep mm -hmm. dipping below $10 and, and never look back, you know, so will we see it go back over 10? The, you know, I think smart windows is an exciting growth area, but I, as I pointed out, I worry a little bit about commercial real estate and new builds right now with so many people working from home. So, you know, that's the story for me there. Yeah, I'd keep an eye on it. You know, one thing I noticed is that, like you mentioned, that $10 is gonna be a resistance. One thing I'd notice is that there's gonna be a lot of overhead supply. And now we can actually start paying attention towards that. Whenever you get these stocks where they go below kind of their opening, where people were holding them near that $10 and then it's gone through the floor, you're going to find some resistance there at that $10 because there are going to be people that are slightly above maybe in the 10, 10 20s to 10 50s. They're going to want to get out. They're going to just want to take their, their like kind of little pop into their number, their break even and get out. So one thing you definitely need to pay attention to is how the stock reacts when it gets to that $10 level. Also the, the units kind of um, with, with a company like this, uh, I think this is a relatively newer one, but the warrants, right? Um, when people can start cashing in those warrants, you got to be careful with that because if the warrants are priced in above, then it, it should essentially hurt, you know, if, if they start getting into that. So definitely keep your eyes on, on these. I'm, I'm personally trying to start looking at a couple of these, but it takes a little while to develop. I personally would, you know, I, I've been looking at Clove, but man, it, it's just hard to determine where the bottom is, right? Because even a stock like this is starting to make multiple bottoms near the $7, but what's the floor here? There is no floor. So you got to be careful here, guys. And, and one thing you don't want to do is just get stuck in, in what they call the, the, the falling knife. And, and this definitely looks like a falling knife to me. And, and sometimes, yeah, you might catch the knife but sometimes you might get stabbed too. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, speaking of uh, former SPACs going below 10, uh, Mitch, if you want to pull up, we do have those two reporting tonight. So we have SFT um, mm -hmm. shift, which is a used car platform. And we've seen several used cars ones now go public. So uh, car lots, ticker LOTZ, you know, all kind of competing to be the next Carvana, the next broom. But if you look at this chart, you know, this thing dropped below 10 and it, it has really struggled. Um, to get back to that level. So 
Um, you know, but before Mitch goes into that chart, you know, I'll, I'm looking to hear, you know, on that earnings report, you know, what their growth looks like. Um, what are they doing in terms of expansion, right? Because it's all about expanding into new markets, more states, adding, you know, more of a network to increase their volume. So what, what do you think of that chart, Mitch? One thing I'd mention is that you did mention is that these Vroom, Carvana, and all of them are are kind of getting the the they got a lift early in the pandemic, but are definitely starting to pull back now. One thing I'd mention about this is that you have to start thinking like almost six months ahead, right? And that's how the market starts to starts to think. And in my eyes, personally, I don't really see car buying as a hot trend. You know, I don't I don't think you're going to start seeing, you know, people trying to dish out money to get new cars as fast as kind of what was shown in the pandemic time, because there's going to be two things. I think there's certain people that are going to be struggling because of the inflation heading towards them. Right. And so inflation pl plays a, a factor in our purchasing power. Right. And so we don't want to go ahead and just make these huge purchases in times where you don't know really how to budget the, the best because prices keep changing. And so to me in the car industry, what you're going to start seeing is that you're going to see a dip in, in the gasoline of vehicles and and this is just because it's a mature market and to me there there's the need and the demand is not as great as it was let's say two years ago because people used to need vehicles on a daily basis like i need to get to work uh, i need to drive 30 minutes to get there and there's no option now there's options there's remote working there's people that are staying home there's even uh, car insurances that are paying and charging by the mile. Why are they doing this, guys? They notice the trend. People aren't driving as much. People aren't driving as much. And when you're not driving as much, I want to get an insurance that charges me by the mile. And so you guys got to notice that, hey, with the chip shortage, with the chip shortage like is being mentioned right now in the chat by Isaac and, and things like this, you, you could see some suffering times for car sales. So even though they have the online conference, uh, I personally, at least my opinion in this industry, I'd stay away just because I just, I think it's going to take a little while for EV to take off, to, to take off here. And, and that's, what's going to, I think, bring these companies back is when you see the EV move really. But for right now, I don't think that's this year. I don't think that you're going to see massive amounts of purchase of EV vehicles. It's going to take a little bit. It's going to be probably in the next two to three years. That's what I see. Uh, what do you think about those trends, Chris? Yeah, you know, I, I again, as I said, that rumor with Ajax for the, the uh, UK used car company, you know, obviously not a very exciting target, um, you know, and I'm hoping Ajax doesn't land that. I do own shares of Ajax. You, you know, I, I think car buying, we will see a shift to some online, but there's lots of players out there. And I think it's still in the early stages. And the fact that several of these SPACs that have gone that direction just have not been well received by the market. I, you know, I think we have to, you know, as Mitch said, a six month approach, unless if you see, you know, one of these really starting to move, you know, you, you kind of have to stay away from some of the, the competitors and the peer group too. Um, you know, as we talk peer group, Mitch, what about so sports betting? So DraftKings, you know, is the largest uh, holding in the SPAC. I, I did a little diving. I looked at the full holdings and 
You know, I don't see GNOG anywhere in the SPAC. Um, and RSI and DMYD are both, you know, a small percentage. Um, so I think that could be telling too that, you know, maybe based on market cap and performance, you know, DraftKings has been a big leader, but we really haven't seen, you know, GNOG or Rush Street take off again. And with Rush Street reporting earnings in two days, what, what do you think if you want to pull up RSI, you know, what could we potentially get? Again, when they report earnings, we're going to get, you know, some coverage on Illinois, maybe Michigan, which they just recently entered, um, you know, my home state here. Uh, but what do you see from that chart? All right. So I'm going to pull up a chart here to give us a little insight, right? Like, I mean, hey, we need some insight, right? Now, I don't know everything, but hey, guess what? I know someone that does. It's called Google. All right, guys. So Google, let's look up sports betting here and some Google analytics here. So one thing I'd point out to guys is that you did get a little bit of a spike here. So I pulled up the 90 days. Let's pull up a last year, last 12 months. All right. So we're, we're going to see what guys remember. DKNG came out somewhere near around here, around this April, April, June, May time. And then boom, we had the sports boom. The sports boom came because all sports on at once, guys. All sports on at once. And then what ended up happening is they, they, they had a little bit of a decline. You know, this is when um, Major League Baseball was in kind of their full swing of their schedule. So it was basketball. But then near the end of October, we definitely started coming back up because we, we had football going and, and getting hot. And then we also had the NBA playoffs. And then as we got in towards January, in the end of January, you have the, the kind of the playoffs and the NFL and you see a spike there. But then you see a decline right now, and I think that decline right now is basically uh, on you know football leaving us, and then also you're gonna see a, a kind of a, a little decline with kind of the the sports in, in college football. It wasn't as big as it usually was, but now I expect to see another boom coming. You have you know uh, March Madness coming. You I have baseball coming back. Mitch, that's the one thing with that with that chart there is last year we didn't have a March Madness basketball tournament. I, I I'm curious to see what that means as a major catalyst. And and I want to point out, you know, we talk about Sport Radar with that rumor they have deals with MLB, NBA, NFL, NHL last year. Genius Sports, so DMYD, they have a deal with the NCAA. How important is that this year with March Madness? Um, so could we see DMYD, you know, get a lot of attention since Genius Sports is a big coverage of the NCAA, which March Madness, you know, after a year of not having the tournament, how many more bets and how many more states are there that are going to place bets on this year's tournament? I think that's a, a major thing. And maybe DraftKings hits on that at their analyst day tomorrow, right? Maybe they come full swing out and say, hey, March Madness this year is going to be the catalyst for us. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, one thing that's always been said is that March Madness is all over the place. You never know really who's going to win. It's very, very hard to predict the whole bracket. So what ends up happening is there is that there's kind of edge that it comes in sports betting because some people will think that they have an advantage over the other. Mm -hmm. And in, in March Madness with so many opportunities and so many teams that could get, let's say, a number one get knocked out by the bottom of the bracket, that's how you make a, a, a lot of money really in, in sports betting. So you're going to see some attempts, I, I'm definitely sure, of 
promotions, uh, bonuses, deposits. Look how those come out. That's There's a reason why they do them, guys, because these are moments when they can uh, get that acquisition, that customer acquisition, and, and then attack that customer acquisition. And what ends up happening is you're going to see the, the major ones. I would, I would point out like MGM, uh, DraftKings. They'll, they'll probably go ahead and target ads at a faster pace or, or where you can see them more than let's say a company like Penn, where they're trying to do a step back on, on ads and not spend so much, but that also can cost you an act in customer acquisition. And so that's what they're, it's a battle in this game, you know, and, and there's certain leaders and then there's certain companies that are just part of the everyday. And I think that's what you can compare to GNOG or RSI. They're kind of like the everyday providers. They're going to be helping, but they're also get their money to kind of taken underneath their feet sometimes. And, and that's why I look at also some leaders and maybe you want to have a leader and then someone that you think can have that growth potential. And so that's why I would look at a company like, like DMYD or, or a company like RSI and then look at them to have the growth in the long period, but also maybe have one of the gainers, one of the winners like Penn or DKNG, and then looking to kind of get that in between. I even had GAN for a while. I don't know what GAN is now, but man, uh, I, I, I kind of wish I still had it. I, I think it's, it's at a good spot now on a little pullback. I might think about looking at it now. Um, I'll pull up the chart here, guys. That's GAN in the same sector, but I'll take a look, you know, because it's starting to pull back and we had such a, a big rip out. I think in the long term, you get Florida, you get New York. And if you get those two, I think it really starts getting a drive. Yeah, I think RSI could be a, you know, a telling factor for the whole industry on Wednesday when we get those earnings because, you know, we got DraftKings earnings not too long ago. Um, but again, since FanDuel trades, you know, as Flutter Entertainment over the counter, it doesn't get a ton of coverage here in the U.S. So we don't see those financials, you know, as regularly. And then we don't have a ton of peer play sports betting companies, you know, like MGM is in with the rest of the group. So, you know, Rough Street Interactive could be a big telling factor for, you know, especially some of these smaller states. And then also remember that they're heavy on the iGaming side of things. So, you know, as, as Mitch talked about those promotions, to me, you know, a Rush Street, you, you know, if they're looking at growing customers, they, they can do the promotions. They can offer, you know, free bets and, you know, money back to people to join because if they can convert them to iGaming users, that, that's where their profits are. It's not on the sports betting side of things. So it, it depends on each company, you know, what their what their strategy is. So uh, so before we wrap up here, I do want to make a programming note. Um, I wasn't sure if we were going to tease this at all or not. Um, you heard me talk about three new deals that were announced today. On the show tomorrow, we do have Niccolo Damasi from DMY Technology Group, that's ticker DMYI, that just announced that deal today, joining us on SPACs Attack tomorrow. Um, he'll be on around 1130 uh, Eastern time. So, you know, tune in. Uh, you know, you don't want to miss that interview and hear more about quantum computing. I know I'm excited and want to hear more about, you know, how they're, you know, going to change the the industry and really the peer play leader in quantum computing. What do you think, Mitch? Yeah, you know, one thing I definitely take a look at is that how successful the other ones have been. 
and and I keep saying it, guys. Um, I, I got to give a congrats to my man Nicolo. He he's definitely had some successful specs. I mean, you can just look at the prices. You can look at the interest. You can look also at the acquisitions, the quality of the acquisitions. Um, I think every single one you can see the, that the the CEO has done his his research, you know, and 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 really put in the time to to get these acquisitions. You know, we're, we hear mentioned in the chat about HZON and Sports Radar, but really, I mean, if you look at it, Genius Sports, guys, I mean, look at it and, and compare the two, right? Compare the two, watch their evaluations also. So one thing I've heard about Sports Radar is that it's being evaluated at a $10 billion price. If it's being evaluated at a $10 billion price, it could be very much that the company overpaid. Um, because if you look back, I think about six months ago, it was valued close to $5 billion. And so double the price they're paying to get this company, guys. This could be the reason why HZON got it and not the ones that we thought were possibly going to uh, attack this one, like uh, Red Ball or SEAH. It could have been just a premium. It could have literally just been that, hey, you guys are trying to charge way too much for this company and, and we're not going to go ahead and put out that kind of money. And so uh, you got to keep an eye on them. I do both have some advantages. Yes. If you look at sports, uh, genius sports, you're going to see some advantages definitely in their partnerships and in their data. But then if you look also at sports radar, you're going to see some advantages. I think they have some advantages in the international game. And, and if you look at that, they, they, they give out their, um, they're kind of uh, their their data to determine if someone's rigging the game. Um, I, I forgot exactly what it's called. There's a name for it, but um, that that data is very important for, let's say, a country that wants to get into sports gambling and kind of regulate here and make sure that they're just not going to get scammed. And so I think that's very important. And they also have global footprint more than, let's say, just the United States. And so I think that plays a factor. You know, there's a bunch of, of kind of these sports companies and sports media companies that are going to be coming out, guys, as we see the gambling revenue come. Because with the gambling revenue comes the media revenue also, guys. And this one thing that I've been paying attention to, um, entertainment, guys. There's, there's definitely some potential out there. So look for some look for some potential there and we'll see if we can get some more acquisitions also in sports media and media in general. So that's going to yeah, do last, it for us today. Touch on that. Um, you know, with, with genius sports and sport radar, Mitch, I, I I'm looking forward to getting more color on the NFL deal. You know, right now, sport radar, they have an investment from the NFL. They have that exclusive deal, but that ends this year. When that deal is announced, will we get, you know, color that the NFL deal has been renewed was that part of, you know, the, the deal? Is that built into the $10 billion valuation? You, you and I both know the NFL well. The NFL enjoys making money, right? They, they take all their games. They split them up across multiple networks. What's, what's to stop the NFL from no longer offering exclusive and providing, you know, to both Genius Sport and Sport Radar to, you know, possibly bring in more revenue for them than they would get from an exclusive deal? So, that's the key for me with the sport radar deal is, is the valuation of 10 billion possibly, and then more color on the NFL exclusivity. 
All right, before we get out of here, I see one on my radar that I just might have to take, guys. So I'm going to take a look at this one right after we get out, guys. That's PIPP down to 1027. Had a low on Friday of 995. To me, this one pulled back significantly, and it's looking like an interesting opportunity for me. So I'll take a look at it and do a little bit more deep research. But definitely, it's just stood out to me, so I want to definitely bring it up. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us, guys, on the SPACs attack. Definitely, guys, smash the like button. Up next, you got the Power Hour. Um, there's going to be some great interviews on, on the Power Hour, like always, guys. But definitely, if you want to see some hype stuff, stick with us. It'll go ahead and redirect you. You don't have to go anywhere, guys. You don't have to click a link. Just stay right here, and you guys will see the Power Hour. And like always, guys, we'll keep bringing you more executives and more interviews. So look out for tomorrow, DMYI. And, and more of Niccolo, man, the man, the the great, the genius. Uh, I'm super excited to bring him back. We've got uh, uh, this will be the third interview. And, and I, I'm telling you, I, I enjoy every single one and get more out of it. Um, so transparent, this guy. You ask a question, guys. If you guys have a question for him, put it in the comments below after. I will make sure that we ask that question for you guys. This is what it's all about. It's about you guys out there. So definitely put those questions in the comments below. Smash the like, hit the bell, and I'll see you next time on The Spacks. Bye.